1 John 5, new chapter, let's go. Verses 1 through 5, let me read. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, but everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. That's the title of the message. This is the victory. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. Thank you, Lord, that even though the world may be going crazy, even though truth may be in short supply, we got a lot of truth here in your word. And Jesus is the truth. Thank you for your truth. Cause your truth to sink into our hearts and minds today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoever or everyone who, as some translations read, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. As you probably know, Christ is the English transliteration of the Greek word Christos, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. Whoever or everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, also known as the Anointed One, with a big A and a big O, also referred to as the one and only Savior of the world. That's what it means to believe that Jesus is the Christ. You believe He is the Chosen One, the Anointed One, the one sent by God to be the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Mashiach, by the way, to the exclusion of all others. That's what it means to believe that Jesus, there can only be one. What was that? Um, Highlander. Highlander. Right. Jesus is the real Highlander. There can only be one. And it's him. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. It was on the tip of my tongue, Tim. Thank you for spitting it out for me. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. That seems like a no-brainer, right? No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. God's Holy Spirit would never cause anyone to say Jesus is accursed. And yet, remember, they mocked Him on the cross. That was a criminal's death. That was the most degrading humiliating death someone could die in those days and it did indeed in the Old Testament it says cursed is he who hangs upon a tree but you see he was cursed for us we are really the ones that should have been there on that cross but no one can say by the spirit of God that Jesus is accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord which by the way what does that mean? Do people who say, yeah, he's my Lord, do they know what that means? The word Lord is another word for master. That means if you identify Jesus as your Lord, you're identifying yourself as his slave. As Paul said, I'm a bond slave or a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're not really submitted totally to Christ, then he's not really your Lord. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And I know sometimes in exorcisms, 
one of the methods that's employed is to try to encourage the um, victimized, the demonized, to proclaim Jesus as Lord, and often the demon won't allow the person to say that. It requires humility, brokenness before God to say, yes, he's my Lord, and it's only, so if you've proclaimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. So if any of you here today think, well, yeah, I'm a believer, I love God, but man, I just don't see much of the Holy Spirit's work in my life. Well, that could be partially true. Maybe you need to, you know, put in a little more time on your discipleship. But if you've been able to sincerely, honestly, publicly proclaim that Jesus is your Lord, that's because the Holy Spirit is working in you. John 1.14, the Word, big W, Jesus. My friend Brian Davis likes to camp out on this. Jesus is the Word, big W. And He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten, or the one and only, one translation says one and only, the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten, or the one and only Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So not only whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, that means to the exclusion of all others. You can't say, well, yeah, He's one of the great spiritual leaders of all time. He's one of the uh, incarnations of the Christ consciousness, just like Buddha and Krishna. No, no, no. He's the one and only. You must know that. You must believe that. You must proclaim that. And then, if that's the case, John says, you can be sure of this, you're born of God. Born again, a child of God, a new creation, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not just of him, but in him, and he's in you, he is a new creation. See, Jesus doesn't just put Band-Aids and Bactine on us. He recreates us. New creation. Not just a, you know, like a new paint job or a, you know, a valve job or transmission overhaul. No, no, he recreates us. We're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, we know Paul also wrote, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means that the moment we receive Christ, even though God proclaims us a new creation, all the old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. That's our position in Christ. In Christ, our position is we are sanctified, we are set apart, we're justified, just as if I'd never sinned. The practical side of that says we now must spend the rest of our lives working at becoming the person that God says we already are. Do you understand that? We need to understand that because you'll get discouraged, you'll get frustrated, you'll say, wait a minute, if, if I'm a new creation, if all the old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new, how come I still have this problem and that problem and the other problem? So understand this. God makes a proclamation concerning who you now are in Christ. He's telling you who you will be 
who you can be so that you will strive for that. He sets the bar really high knowing that we're not going to be able to ever reach it in this life. But that's not our excuse to not try. We need to strive for that. We need to press on, as Paul said, towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. You see, if God would have set the bar low, we would have gone low. We, I just had a conversation with someone, again, about once saved, always saved, always also known as Calvinism versus Arminianism, which says, well, you sinned this week. You've got to get resaved. Salvation is a one-time thing. But with Arminianism, it's not. And then on the other side of the coin, with Calvinism, you see, John Calvin didn't write the Bible, and neither did Arminius. <laughs> God did. And I said to this person, we were pretty much on the same page. Maybe it was Ed. Was it Pat? Was it you and me, Ed? I don't remember who I had the conversation with. But my belief is, Again, God sets the bar high because if he sets it low, we're going to go low, right? We're always going to sink to the lowest common denominator. We're always going to try to get away with as much as we can. Oh, I know th this person that I spoke with had had a conversation with someone who was talking about, I can do whatever I want because I, it's once saved, always saved. I can just do whatever I want. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. It doesn't say that. But that's the problem with some of these man-made doctrines that mislead people. Years ago, I've told the story before, but I went on our very first mission trip to Honduras. Our good friend Karen Lafferty from Santa Fe was leading the team. Chris and I went, and that's how Chris and Maria wound up being down there for 10 years. There was a young man on the trip. He was a, a Baptist, I believe, which the once saved, always saved doctrine is popular in many of the Baptist churches. And he was, he'd gotten involved in a homosexual lifestyle. And um, Karen's hope in bringing him on the trip is that being around these other believers, being involved in outreach, ministry, would perhaps bring him to his senses, so to speak. And everybody thought that maybe he'd made progress on the trip, but they had uh, specifically requested that I sit next to him on the way home and kind of see where he was coming from and try to encourage him. So I did. I sat with him on the plane began to talk to him about this and he hadn't changed one iota he was still firmly uh, entrenched in the lifestyle convinced that it was okay and he said hey I know where I'm going I'm not worried about anything and I thought really really because that's in direct violation of the scriptures the Bible clearly does not say that and yet because of this doctrine that he'd been taught growing up in the church he thought that he could behave that way, he could live that lifestyle and still go to heaven. The Bible doesn't say that, I'm sorry. In fact, it says no, that no effeminate or homosexual shall inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say it, God did. But I wouldn't encourage you to get mad at God either. Because God is perfect in all of his ways. He's the creator. He's the one who sets the standards. So if there's a, if there's a break between what we believe and what we want to do in our lives and what God says, God needs to win. Amen. Not me. I must yield to Him. So I think that's a dangerous approach, teaching people that, hey, now that you're saved, once saved, always saved, you can just do whatever you want. Oh, no. It doesn't work that way at all.
And so we need to work, work at, one, seeing ourselves as God sees us. Now, my good buddy Brian Davis, who just spoke at our men's retreat, he's a professional Christian counselor, and he has an interesting approach. I think it's a good approach to dealing with problems within the family. Uh, he had to do this with some of his own family members, but th this is his approach. Of course, there's love, there's grace, there's patience, but then ultimately at some point he will approach the person and say, you know something? In this family, we don't live like this. We don't behave like this. So if you want to be a part of this family, you need to make a choice. You need to make a decision. Are you going to change the way you're living or do you choose to not be a part of this family? Now, he's applying that within the context of the biological family. But we can also apply that within the context of the Christian family. And God really wants us to. The Bible talks a lot about accountability. And saying, you know, I love you, but in God's family, the family of God, this is not how we're supposed to behave. So do you want to be a part of God's family or not? If you do, you need to change your behavior. Does that make sense? I think we'd be helping people when we did that. We need to begin to see ourselves as God sees us, a new creation. All the old things have passed away. And when the old things do crop up, we need to be quick to confess those sins to God, repent, and ask Him for help, for strength to move on and keep moving in the right direction, following Jesus, seeking to become more like Jesus. But see, if you're told, it doesn't matter. Now you're saved, you're good to go. It doesn't work very well, does it? But on the other hand, telling someone every time they stumble, James, in his book, says we all stumble in many ways. Telling somebody every time they stumble, you blew it, man, you're going to hell. That's the kind of church I grew up in. Every time you blow it, you're going to hell. And it's a manipulative thing. You know what I mean? It puts people under bondage. It's discouraging. And again, a lot of people growing up under that kind of a teaching fall away. They figure there's no hope. I can't do this. I'm not going to just get saved every Sunday, every time, you know, because, man, we all stumble in many ways. So I think the way God has presented this whole thing of salvation in His Word is He wants to keep us on our toes. He doesn't want us so discouraged that we give up. And He also doesn't want us so arrogant and uh, puffed up that we think, hey man, I'm in, baby. I can do whatever I want. I'm saved now. I'm good to go. It's, neither one is, is correct. We need to have a healthy fear of God, respect Him, be in awe of Him, and obey Him. Again, knowing that on those times, in those times when we blow it, He loves us. He's got all the love, grace, mercy, forgiveness that we'll ever need. But we should not presume upon the grace of God. In fact, I would say a major emphasis in John's writings is that his readers, he wants his readers to know that they know that they know they are children of God, that they're truly born again and possess eternal life. That's why he's writing these things. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves him who begot the Father also loves him who is begotten of him. 
This is important to know and to understand. Anyone who denies the deity of Christ, his supernatural conception, and or his virgin birth cannot be born again. Because in a sense, you're not really saying he's accursed, but it kind of connects to that verse in 2 Corinthians that if you deny his supernatural conception, his virgin birth, then I don't believe that person could truly be born again and be a child of God, period. 1 John 4.21, this commandment we have from him, he who loves God must also, um, his brother, love his brother also. We, we got this last week. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Or NIV puts it this way, everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. To love the Father is to love the Son, and vice versa. 1 John 4.20, we, we looked at last week as well. If someone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. John doesn't mince words. Even though John is known as the apostle of love, he doesn't mince words because for the men who wrote the books of the Old and New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to mince words would not be loving us to love us is to tell us the truth. Would you agree? That's real love. To tell someone the truth. If someone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Makes sense, doesn't it? And see, the same thing could be said of God and his son, Jesus Christ. If we say we love God, the real God, the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if we say we love him... But we don't love Jesus, and by the way, that's just about virtually every other belief system on the planet other than true biblical Christianity. Some of them may claim to love Jesus, but Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to obey me, and they certainly don't do that. And they're promoting other beliefs, other gods, other doctrines. If we say we love God, but we don't love Jesus, just like if we say we love God, but we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're liars. They may say that they do, but as per the old expression, the proof is in the pudding. By this, verse 2, that we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So again, as we've seen so many times with John and the other writers of the New Testament, John makes a direct connection between loving God and loving his kids, our brothers and sisters in Christ. You've seen me use this before. God, man. The relationships intersect the horizontal and the vertical. And John says it right here. We know we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. How do we love God? One, according to John, by loving His one and only Son. Now, if you were God and you're not, I'm not. And you loved the human race so much that you sent your one and only son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Wouldn't you want those people to love your son? And if you didn't, then he would take that personally. If you don't love my son after all he's done for you, then obviously you don't love me either. We love him first by loving his one and only son. I don't know about you guys, but 
I think it's much more enjoyable to me. I get a much greater sense of fulfillment out of people saying nice things about my kids or my grandkids than I do about me. How about you? Nothing makes you feel better, makes you prouder than having someone make positive comments about one of your kids, your grandkids, right? Oh, yeah. That's my boy. You know? Right? Or that's my girl. Got to be, make sure we cover at least two genders. <laughs> the only two, as far as I know. And so when we love Jesus, boy, that makes the Father happy. Because he loves Jesus. And sent him to die for us. How do we love God? One, by loving his one and only son. Two, by loving one another. And you see, again, for people coming into the church, people who may be new in the faith, people who don't even know God yet, we can tell them God loves them, but if we're not loving them, it doesn't ring true, does it? It doesn't ring true. We're the point men and women here for people to really experience God's love. And we can't give them God's love if we don't love God. You see how it all works? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. Teacher, the man says to Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And folks, it's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. God doesn't wave a magic wand over us. It actually takes work to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because in order to do that, we've got to begin to push other things away from us that hinder our ability to love Him. Get it? I used the example earlier of sports. Again, it can be a great thing. It teaches kids to, to work hard, to be competitive, to have a desire to achieve. It builds them up physically, mentally. But... Paul wrote, bodily exercise is of a little benefit, but spiritual exercise is of great benefit. And if we let other things take over and control our lives, we will never be able to achieve what is a commandment here, not a suggestion. Jesus said the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If anything in your life is taking first place ahead of Jesus, it's going to be a problem. And we know there's some great Christian people within the athletic community as well as other arenas of life, and they do a wonderful job of giving glory to God, testifying. So whatever arena we find ourselves in, we can use it for God's glory if we choose to do so. Jesus says this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself so there it is. We know that we love the children of God when we love God. So loving God, truly, sincerely loving God will lead to loving one another. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Check this out. Hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. The law of God, the Ten Commandments specifically, are fulfilled in Christ in a love relationship with God 
There's no need for legalism when we're walking in the love of God and we're loving one another. And, know this, when we love God and keep His commandments. Now, I find this fascinating. Our love for our brothers and sisters is exhibited by our obedience to the Father. How can that be? Because He has begotten them. He's begotten us. He is our Father now as well. Not only is the Father of Jesus Christ, He's the Father of all those who believe. And when we obey Him, we are honoring and respecting Him as the Father of all believers. So by obeying Him, that's showing our respect for Him, our love for Him, and that in turn proves our love for one another because we love our dad. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Just like our earthly parents. Now, kids can be and are very selfish. Adults can be selfish too, self-centered, self-focused. But I remember I was closer to my mother than I was to my father. He was kind of a closed-off person, and he died when I was two months before my 12th birthday. But I can remember one of the things that troubled me more than anything else, if I in any way did something that hurt my mom, I was crushed because I loved my mom. I never wanted to do I did sometimes do things to hurt her because I was a sinful, selfish little punk. Right? But I wanted to please her. I wanted to make her happy. I didn't want to hurt her. And that's how we should be with the Father. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we really love God, it's easy to say you love God. Anybody can say that. Just like we can tell our husbands, our wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, whoever it might be, I love you. But again, actions speak louder than words, right? In fact, I would say we should be careful. Not, don't tell God you love Him if you're not going to obey Him. Because now not only are you not loving Him and not obeying Him, you're flat out lying. Just be honest. Well, God, I, I kind of love you, but I really love myself more. That's the truth. Because if you loved Him more, you would obey Him. And the stupid part of that is, oop, there's that word again. Stupid. The stupid part of that is our lives go much better when we obey Him than when we just do our own thing. We think, wow, if I could just do my own thing, you know? Yeah, baby. I'm in the groove now. Actually, our lives go a lot better when we obey Him. When we get in trouble is when we don't obey Him and we do our own thing thinking, that'll make me happy, but if I could just do my own thing, whether it's drinking, drugs, you know, uh, all that other stuff we do that we're not supposed to do, it never turns out well. It never does. And it doesn't even matter if you're rich or poor. Think Jeffrey Epstein. That guy got to do everything he wanted to do, and he did some bad stuff. Now where is he? He left behind all that wealth, did him no good, he indulged the flesh, every pleasure, and now he's dead. And uh, I got about a 99.9% .9 idea of where he's not at. 
Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world, lose his own soul, right? Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Master, Master, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Again, if you don't obey him, he's not really your master. Sounds good on paper. But if we truly love God and his Son, we will obey them both. And if we love them both, as evidenced by our obedience to them, not only both of them, the Holy Spirit as well. Because as we spoke about, I think it was last week, but the Holy Spirit's the one who comes and speaks to our hearts and minds, draws us to God, tells us the truth about God. The Holy Spirit whispers in our ear and says, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the Son of God. Believe Him, receive Him. And if we ignore the Holy Spirit reject his word, then that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We're calling God a liar. So if we truly love God, if we love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we will obey them. And if we love them, all three of them, the whole Trinity, which is evidenced by our obedience to them, then what John is telling us is we can't help but love his kids as well. If we love the Father, love the Son, love the Holy Spirit, we will love His offspring, which all of us who have been born again are His offspring. We know that brothers and sisters, siblings kind of fight sometimes, right? But at the end of the day, if we truly belong to God, if we're truly born again, we will love Him and we will love one another. And I had a lot more, but that's all. We're, I guess I had too much of a monologue there at the beginning. So let's stand. We'll do it next week. We'll get the rest next week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Your word, like David said, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we recognize without your word we'd be lost. So you've given us the whole package. You gave us Jesus to die on the cross for our sins that we might be forgiven and also through his resurrection, we have received the sure and certain hope of one day being resurrected from the dead also. Father, you've also given us your Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, that in your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, you now see us as brand new, not just refurbished, but brand new, a new creation. Lord, help us to see ourselves as you see us, because if we do that, Lord, then we're going to live that way. We're going to adjust our lifestyle uh, to that which you have proclaimed us to be. So help us daily, Lord. We know it's an ongoing struggle, which we will deal with the rest of the, our lives here on earth, but Lord, you've promised us that in eternity, we will be like Jesus, because we will see him as he is. We'll see him face to face. We will know even as we are known. We will no longer struggle with sin. No more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death, no more dying, no tears. In the meantime, Lord, you have given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Help us to stay in your word, in prayer, in fellowship, and in service. To be doing all those things, Lord, that will result in spiritual growth in our lives so that there'll be no doubt whose kids we are. 
And Lord, for anyone here today who's not sure, they're not certain, pray that you draw them by your spirit. They might come today and receive prayer, receive Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe perhaps make a new commitment. Maybe there's been a drifting away, a falling away, but Lord, but you are the good shepherd and you go out and seek after the lost sheep. If there's any lost sheep here today, Father, we ask you to draw them to yourself. Lord, whatever is going on in people's lives, we know you have the answers for us. We ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit as we worship and as we engage in uh, prayer on behalf of all those who would come forward today. And we ask for your blessings upon the rest of this day, upon the baptism, the food, the fellowship, those who will be baptized. Lord, we pray that you, that you would bind the enemy from in any way, hindering them as they step forward to uh, engage in this tremendous act of discipleship today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.